in honor of the word of God as I read Mark 8, 31 through 38. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're studying the Gospel of Mark, and today there is a turn in this Gospel towards the cross. So it's a big pivoting point in Mark chapter 8 that we turn to in our study of the Gospel of Mark. We turn towards the cross of Christ. So I titled this, uh, King by Way of the Cross, Jesus is be beginning to answer and ask this question to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter answers correctly, you are the Christ. And in Matthew's account, Jesus blesses Peter after saying this announcement of who he is. And in Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So we see this big turn, this big shift, the disciples finally getting it, getting uh, what Jesus, who he is. And after this great revelation and this benediction of blessing upon Peter, after this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, he is the anointed king, then Jesus begins to teach them that he must suffer. And so that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at the king's cross and then look at our cross. He begins to teach that we must pick up a cross as his followers. So let's look at the king who becomes king by way of the cross. This first verse in our text says in Mark 8, 31 and the beginning of 32, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes 
and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. The Son of Man, this is uh, the term that Jesus refers to himself as. And when we look at this meaning, it didn't just mean his humanity, but it was a reference to what the prophet Daniel said about who the Son of Man would be. And in Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, it talks about this Son of Man that is given dominion. Who is this Son of Man? In verse 13, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. This is that title of Jesus uh, gives himself. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Yes, Peter, you got it right. Jesus is the Christ. Yes, he is the anointed king. Yes, this is I, the son of man. He begins to teach them that the son of man would suffer. And they're like, what? No, no, let me, get, let me read you Daniel 7, 14, Peter. I mean, Jesus, Peter, you know, to Jesus. It says he will rule with glory and a dominion. He will be a king. He will rule over all the nations and people and languages. This is the son of man. Who are you talking about? Suffer. They, they will all serve you. They will all serve the son of man. All nations, peoples. And your kingdom will be forever. What are you talking about this death for? This is the son of man I've been taught. Who the son of man is. You are the Christ. The anointed king. Peter and his disciples are, yes, you are the Christ, you're the Son of Man, but the Son of Man rules with glory and dominion and an everlasting kingdom. What are you talking about? Suffering and being rejected and being killed. You're the Messiah, the Christ. The Messiah is Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There's no rejection. There's no suffering. There's no being killed. You will rule. How about the Psalms? In Psalm 2, 6 through 9, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. This is the Messiah, Jesus, that we know and that we have been taught. He rules over the nations. He breaks them with a rod of iron. He dashes them to pieces like a potter's vessel, just shatters them. He rules with power. This is the Messiah. Let me tell you, Jesus, how the story goes. Let me tell you who the Messiah is. This is the Son of Man. You can imagine the utter, sh utter shock when Peter and the disciples finally get, and they're getting it, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Son of Man, the anointed King with all dominion. And he starts talking about suffering 
being rejected. The astoundment, the puzzle, the amazement on their faces like, what? What are you talking about? It was not in any of the teachings of the rabbis that the Messiah would suffer, much less be rejected and killed, rise again after three days. I don't even know if they heard that, but if they did, what did that mean? They wouldn't have grasped that either. They understood a little bit about the general resurrection of all mankind at the end of the age. Jewish people believe that. Prior to judgment, as in Daniel chapter 11, uh, 12, verse 2, Daniel 12, 2 says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Yeah, there's a resurrection. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Yeah, there's a resurrection at the end of the days before judgment. But what are you talking about being right, raised after three days? They would have no concept of that. Some resurrection before the general resurrection of all. I mean, this would have made no sense to them. And Peter speaks up and begins to rebuke Jesus. But it's, it's not just that Jesus is saying uh, that, you know, this, this might happen or if it does, this is how we will deal with it. He's using this word four times of must. It must happen. Must even makes it worse. It just rubs it in the wrong way. Uh, he says in verses 30, 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, and after three days rise again, and then that he must suffer many things. And the way the sentence structure is, it, he's saying he must suffer, he must be rejected, he must be killed, he must rise again. There's this like voluntary submission to it. Like, not only might you do this, but you're willingly going to do it. Like, somewhere must, like, is this in Scripture somehow, that the Messiah must in Scripture, you know, uh, says, you know, can't be broken, so it must be in there? What is this? There was some talk about this mysterious servant of the Lord in Isaiah 43, 44, and Isaiah, and this Isaiah 53, who is this mysterious, uh, mysterious servant of the Lord? But no one really had connected that this servant of the Lord would be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God who would rule as the anointed king, this servant of the Lord, who is he? This notion that the Messiah would suffer made no sense at all because the Messiah was supposed to defeat evil and injustice, make everything right in the world. How could he defeat evil and suffering? I mean evil by dying and suffering, suffering and dying. That seemed ridiculous. It seemed impossible uh, Peter has had this revelation. He's, he's riding pretty high on this revelation and this blessing from Jesus. You know, he said, thou art the Christ. He's getting it. This is real. This is the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually tells Peter that flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to him. But my Father is in heaven. This is a revelation from God, but it is, it is not fully complete. It's in part. This revelation comes, and it's great. And right after this great revelation, now, Jesus, you know, Peter thinks... Yeah, you are the Christ, but now I'm going to tell the Christ how the story goes. All of a sudden, he's like built up with this, oh yeah, I'm Peter, I'm the rock. I've got this revelation. And all of a sudden, it says in verse 32 and 33, he, you know, after Jesus said this plainly about his suffering, rejection, 
being killed, raised on the third day, Peter takes him aside. You know, oh, Jesus, you know, yeah, I just announced that you're the Christ, but let me tell you how the story goes. And he began to rebuke him. Now, this is a strong word. When it says that Jesus would rebuke the demons, shut up! This is what the same word that Peter's doing. So it's no mild, I kind of disagree with you, Jesus. I'm, I know you're the Messiah, but there's none of that. This is Peter, man, all man Peter, like rebuking Jesus, telling him in, in, in Matthew 16, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. That's the rebuke. The rebuke is, what you just said will never happen to you. That's pretty strong. Jesus said, this is, must happen. And Peter is saying, this will never happen to you, Lord. That's strong. That's strong language. That's rebuking you. And all the disciples are right there listening to it, man. This is the, the lesson. They're right there. Peter, the leader, he's saying this. And it says that uh, Jesus turning and seeing his disciples sees the other 11 he gets on rebuking so jesus uses that same word and he rebukes peter this is the duel of the rebukes <laughs> who's going to out rebuke the other one like peter you may have got it right that you know you're like you do that is right but man you are going so wrong right now that's just like us isn't it so right one minute and then so wrong the next Turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! Well, that's the same word he used for the demons. Rebuked. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus loves Peter. He loves his disciples. And so Jesus rebukes Peter. And he rebukes the source behind Peter in that statement when he rebukes Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, John Piper says in this text, he says, Jesus must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. He must rise again. These events aren't random. They are God-planned, God-prophesied, God performed and are therefore the gospel. Scripture must be fulfilled. Where is this in Scripture? Because it is written in Scripture in Isaiah 53 that he would know sorrows, be acquainted with grief, and anguish, have anguish of soul. He would be despised, he'd be pierced, he'd be crushed, he'd be oppressed, he'd be afflicted. Psalms, the Son of Man would be rejected. Psalm 118, 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There would be that rejection. The Son of Man must be killed. Isaiah 53 continued. He didn't just prophesy his sufferings, but his murder. He would be led like a lamb to the slaughter, Isaiah says. He will be cut off out of the land of the living, he will be an offering for guilt. His soul will be poured out unto death. His grave will be with the wicked. He must be killed. It is written, and then the Son of Man after three days will rise again. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11. 
When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. He will rise again. He must rise again. Scripture must be fulfilled. It's the planned, uh, ordained plan of God before the foundation of the world. And Peter thinks he can argue about that plan to the Christ, to the Messiah, to the anointed king. You have your mind not set on the things of God, but you have your mind set on the things of man, the things of self. The ESV study Bible says the, the messianic rule of God begins with atonement for sin. See, Messiah must atone for sin. The sacrifice that will bring about the reconciliation between God and man, that has to happen first. He has to be pierced for our transgressions. He has to be crushed for our iniquities. He has to atone for our sin. You see, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and he is the suffering servant. And that was hard for them to see and grasp, and they could not see it. They could not see it, even the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Can you imagine after all of this and all the teaching and all, everything over, he's going to say this in Mark three times to him, this gospel presentation. He's going to say the Son of Man must be rejected. Two more times coming up. And he's over and over again. And in Luke 24, 25, he's resurrected. He's gone to the cross. He's done it all. He's raised from the dead. He's appearing. And he appears to these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And he says to them in Luke 24, 25 through 26, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ, just like Peter said, the Christ, the Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory? Can you see it? He must suffer first to enter into his glory. He must be and go through the cross to be enthroned. I am the king, Jesus is saying, but by way of the cross, that was mind-boggling. No one became king that way. And they didn't see it and they didn't get it. The cross. And Jesus, not only after saying this, all of a sudden he calls everyone together. Everyone around the disciples and the crowd. In Mark 8, 34 of our text next, he says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me like this is the first step you want to follow me disciples you want to follow me 12 you want to follow me peter all of you crowds want to follow me this is the first thing you need to get this is the first step to accepting that gospel i just announced to you you must deny yourself you must take up your cross and follow me in our book that we're reading in our men's Bible study, Jesus the King, Tim Keller calls this chapter the turn, a turn towards the cross. And he says, I am a king, but a king going to a cross. And if you want to follow me, you've got to come to the cross too. And that's what he's saying now. You want to follow me? 
you got to come to the cross too. The ESV study Bible says, in this denying yourself, taking up your cross, it says self-denial means letting go of self-determination and replacing it with obedience to and dependence on the Messiah. I know that's a little bit hard to to grasp definitions, but self-denial, deny yourself, pick up your cross, it means letting go of self-determination. Determined in my way. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That, that determination to go our own way like sheep, to turn the stubbornness, the self-determination, I will do it my way, my way or the highway. That's in the heart of, of all of us, all humanity, that rebellion against God. It's, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. You've got to deny that. You've got to deny the self, and you've got to crucify it. You've got to pick up your cross. You've got to replace it. ESV Bible, study Bible is saying, replace it with obedience to, yes, obedience to Christ, but dependence on Christ, dependence on the Messiah, not dependence on me and my own self-determination. I can do it. I can pick myself up by my spoots. I can do it. I can try harder. I can do better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is turning to obedience, leaving, denying self, my own self-determination, replacing with obedience to the Messiah and a dependence. I have to have the Messiah or I will not make it. It's a a need of his grace and his mercy. See, Peter and the disciples, just like all of us, had a great amount of self-determination. It comes out later in Mark, in chapter 14, verses 30 through 31, because Jesus tells them and they're bolstering up of what they're going to do. He says, Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, and I want you to get that, this is the emphaticness of our self-determination. He said it emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Emphatically he said it. And not only did Peter, it says after that, and they all said the same. It's just not all on Peter, this is on the... The 12, it's that idea that we can determine ourselves. We can muster our own will. But it fails, and it fails miserably. And it ends in weeping when the cock crows. He realizes, Peter realizes, he has failed, and all of his self-determination has been washed down the drain. But self-determination must be replaced with obedience to and dependence upon Jesus. Did Peter ever get it? Yeah. There's several places we could see Peter getting it. I like 2 Peter 1. He begins this second message of his. In verse 2, he says in 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Man, not like, you guys need to pick yourselves up. You need to try harder. You need to He just says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I mean, you know, he turns to the grace and the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. And you just hear a different man here. And his, divine, his divine power has granted to us all things. He's throwing himself in there. That pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. By his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may... 
become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I mean, does the gospel just hit you full face right there from Peter? Did he get it? Man, the good news that Jesus has done for us, what we could never do for ourselves. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May his divine power he has granted to us through his great promises. You don't hear anything about self-will and determination and, you know, you can do it. Let's turn to him. He has through his great promises. Deny yourself, crucify yourself, follow. He's getting it. he's getting it Jesus says take up your cross he means deny yourself and he means crucify yourself there's a self that must die and be reckoned dead that's the first part of Jesus' answer if you want to be included in the gospel deny yourself, pick up your cross how do you repent and believe in the gospel that he's announced in verse 31 You must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. You must know that the Son of Man must suffer for you many things. You must know that the Son of Man must be rejected by the chief priests and elders and the scribes. And you must know that the Son of Man will be killed and after three days rise again. Come to the end of yourself, deny yourself, crucify yourself, and follow me to the cross and pick up your own cross and deny yourself. You must be crucified with Christ. You must say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see that determination being turned? From self to the crucified self to the cross. The cross or your own way. It's a strong in humanity, it was strong in Lucifer. Lucifer and a third of the angels chose their own way over God. So did Adam and Eve. They chose their own way over God and his way. After a thousand years of the millennial reign, some will choose their own way after God's way. Mind-blowing. Wow. Our way or God's way. Jesus had to hit him with that first. You must deny yourself if you want to follow me. You must pick up your cross and follow me. And then he leads into these four fours. The computer wouldn't let me do that. Kept saying F-O-R-U-S, F-O-R-U-S, no, four F-O-R's, four fours. And it kept underlining it in red. I had to ignore it, quit it, stop it. The four fours. He says, for, in verse 35 of Mark chapter 8, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Man, giving up. This is what that denial means. The only way to save your life is to lose it. To give your whole life away to, to Jesus and the gospel. Give it all away for Jesus and the gospel that he just announced gospel of suffering being rejected killed and rise again his suffering his rejection his death on the cross and his resurrection mark 10 43 through 45 he breaks this down a little bit more about what it will accomplish 
in Mark 10, 43-45, it says, It shall not be so among you. He's trying to teach them. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And next in Mark 8, 36, he says, Four again, the second four. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? As I meditated on this, I always thought, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I kind of thought, of, I thought small. I thought like if I got all my dreams and I got all my little answers and I saw this little column over here for if I got this and I got that out of the world. But if I got that and I lost my soul, that, that would be not worth it, not a profit. But Jesus didn't say that. He says, what if you gained it all? The whole world. I begin to think that column and list over here could go on and on and on and on of pros. Like if I got it all. Here's a list over here, how you make these lists of pros and cons. So here's the pros. Uh, I get it all. I get everything I want. Make the list up yourself. All the wealth, all the power, all the fame, all the praise of men, all everything. I, you know, get it all. It's hard to imagine. Jesus said, if you got it all, the whole world over here, and there's one con over here, just one little con at the top, you forfeit your soul. Not worth it. That's a pretty big contrast you think, well, this might be worth it. It goes on and on and on and on. It's the whole world, Jesus. And he says, you can gain it all. All the world. But if you forfeit your soul, it doesn't profit you at all. None? I didn't get anything out of all that? Nothing. Zero. No profit. Well, what can I give to redeem my soul then? Nothing. It's too costly. That's the next question. Four. Can you, can you redeem your own soul? Can you do something to redeem it then? If it's that valuable. Mark 8, 37 is the third four. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Then how can he redeem it if it's worth that much? Psalm 49, 6 through 8 says, Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. There's nothing you can give. It's too costly. Your life and to redeem your soul. You couldn't buy it. You can't redeem it. And he closes with this fourth four. Jesus in Mark 8, 38, closing our text. He says, Forever who, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father and with his holy angels when jesus says the son of man must suffer must be rejected must be killed must rise again peter rebukes him he rebukes jesus he rebukes what he has said he has rebuked his words he's ashamed of those words and he's ashamed of jesus he says, this will not happen to you. I don't like your words. I don't like your story. I don't like your gospel announcement. It offends me. I mean, you're planning to die. You're, try, you're, do, you're saying you're going to do it voluntarily. It, it's offensive. How about us? Are we ashamed of the gospel? 
Are we ashamed of Jesus? Why are you doing this? Why? What are you doing? In our men's Bible study, uh, Presley's not here this morning, but he told this story and, and told it in tears about when he first became a Christian and he started this uh, Project Hope and he was doing it and things were rolling. He was helping the poor and he was doing these things and because of Jesus and the change in his life. And he knew the change. He'd gone to church all of his life, full perfect attendance, Sunday school kid, but finally got the gospel, finally got saved, finally got truly born again later in life, in his mid-40s. And now he's serving the Lord and building this project hope and raising funds for the poor in his community. And this man calls and is talking, oh, I see you need a donation, this and that. And what are you doing this for? Presley goes, uh, well, uh, well, you know, uh, well, I just, you know, and he can't, can't, can't say, just because I love Jesus and he's changed my life. He just like, uh, you know, well, I want to help people or something, you know. And he hangs up and Jesus goes, are you ashamed of me? And he just cried. He said, I will never be ashamed of him. I will speak up when he has opportunity because this guy called back. But I think we do that a lot of times. What are you doing it for? What's a, you know, just because, you know, something that, you know, they can accept, you know, not be offended by, right? Not the cross, not because of Jesus. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Jesus is asking, are you ashamed of me? Jesus is making it clear there there are two audiences for our lives. One is this adulterous and sinful generation. Do you want to please that? The world? Or the audience of the triumphant Son of Man returning with all of his glory and millions of holy angels? Who do you want to please? Who are you going to please? Jesus is laying it out. These are your two. This adulterous, sinful generation or the Son of Man returning in glory with his holy angels. Whose approval do we crave the most? Whose praise are you most desperately not to lose? And whose presence do you fear the most being shamed? Which relationship is most precious to you? Jesus is saying, I am the Christ. This is the gospel. I must die and give my life to redeem you, to ransom you. It's a costly price. You cannot do it yourself. I alone can ransom you from your sin. Only I can ransom your soul. Only I can pay the costly price for your soul. I must die and be crucified. I am a king. Yes, confess me as the Christ, but I am ascending my throne by way of the cross, and you must pick up yours and follow me. Come, pick up your cross and follow me, the King's cross and our cross. Amen. Rifle, you want to come? We're going to celebrate at the Lord's table and remember the Lord's death until he comes and all that he accomplished at the cross. As you all come and get these, there's a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're picking up your cross, denying your
yourself and following Jesus. You're welcome to come and take communion with us. And there's two cups in here. The top one has the juice in it, and below it is the bread. And we'll come from here and get it, and then we'll all take it together after I pray. night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was so confident in the plan of God, he wasn't worried about his betrayal, it was just all part of God's plan, and in the night of his betrayal, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father for it, and he said, this is my body, take and eat. When you do, do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. Thank you so much, Father, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Him alone, his broken body alone, can redeem our soul from the miry clay in the pit of sin and death and hell and all that it brings. You have redeemed us, and we give you praise and thank you for the body of Christ. In like manner, he took the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the redemption of your sins. When you take of it, do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. We're still remembering you, Jesus. We remember that you took up your cross and you ascended the throne by way of the suffering servant. And we are grateful in our hearts because you knew 
that your death alone and your shed blood alone could wash away the stubbornness of our own self-determined will. We thank you for your mighty, powerful shed blood to cleanse us and wash away our transgressions and our iniquities. We give you praise and we thank you for this cup. Let's partake together. May we rejoice and may we sing this song together in praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. the blood of Jesus for my cleansing this my plea nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no Just 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, on the fount I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. Love one another.